Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. It was election night across the Bay Area yesterday, and voters cast ballots in consequential races across the region. Well, at least some of us did. Turnout was extremely low most places for this primary night. We'll talk about the big stories, Chase Boudin's recall, the San Jose mayor's race primary, and more. And we'll discuss what these results say about our region's biggest problems and look ahead to November. That conversation's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As you've probably heard by now, in the biggest race of this primary night, the recall of Chase Boudin, the results are clear. He, Chase Boudin, district attorney in San Francisco, has been recalled, and Mayor London Breed will appoint an interim successor. Boudin, though, conceding the election, gave a defiant speech to supporters at the ramp in Dogpatch. This was never about one vote count. It was never about one election night party. It was never about specifically which person gets to be in the office of the district attorney. This is a movement, not a moment in history. Joining us to talk about what the Boudin recall means and the rest of the Bay Area election results, we've got Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Welcome, Guy. Hey, Alexis. Been a long night for you, I'm sure. Uh, We're also joined by Corey Cook, political scientist at St. Mary's College, provost and executive vice president there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. We also have Anna Tong, data editor at the San Francisco Standard. Welcome. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Good morning. Guy, let's uh, just get your reaction on the biggest story of the day, which is the recall. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, there's going to be a lot of national uh, focus on the removal of Boudin as district attorney. I think, obviously, a lot of local factors played into this. Um, I'm interested in in looking at it kind of from the context of other Bay Area district attorney elections, right? This is, we had a lot of them on the ballot throughout our region, and there wasn't really a through line. It's hard to, you can't say, you know, all the progressive district attorneys fared well or did poorly. Largely incumbents did well throughout the region, except for Boudin. Obviously, this election was so unique because it was a recall, right? He was on the ballot by himself, and clearly the results show SF voters kind of held him as the fall guy for a lot of the issues that are happening in the city as it relates to public safety, what's happening on our streets as well. Yeah, I was just looking at the Alameda County uh, results where Pamela Price, who had been seen, I think, as a progressive challenger back when she lost, I think it was in 2018, uh, easily the top vote getter in Alameda County this time. Right. And you have really like you go around the region, you have incumbent DAs successful, whether they're 
championed by progressives like Dinah Becton in, in Contra Costa County, winning uh, her election, getting another term as district attorney. You have folks opposed by progressives like Krishna Abrams in Solano County, who's uh, won her election last night. And then folks who were kind of somewhat in the middle, I would say, like Jeff Rosen uh, in Santa Clara County, somewhat surprisingly winning the primary outright, you know, not going into a runoff when he faced pretty uh, well-funded opposition from progressive Shahid Khan. Corey Cook, um, why don't we come to you on this uh, Boudin campaign and ultimately um, the recall of the DA here in San Francisco. How do you read this uh, this recall election? Well, I, I think very similarly. I mean, recall elections are, are unique animals, right? Um, so, you know, in winning the seat three years ago, uh, Boudin only only got 45% of the vote, right? So so he was able to frame that race largely in, in opposition uh, to, to an opponent who uh, he was able to uh, argue that, that you know, policing reforms, criminal justice reforms uh, ought to be enacted. Um, but he, you know, narrowly won that race, less than a, less than a few thousand votes, uh, separated the two top vote getters, and again, didn't get 45%. So now he's on the ballot on his own, um, you know, facing all of the, the concerns that voters have around, you know, housing issues, homelessness issues, street crime, all get focused in this election, and he has no opponent to uh, to challenge, right? It's, it's he, him standing on his own. Uh, recalls are really diff- difficult. They're difficult elections. Um, and, you know, it, similar to the uh, recall of the members of the, of the board, uh, school board in San Francisco, um, you know, it's difficult for incumbents to survive this when they, they can't frame the election as about their potential opponents. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you, San Francisco crime statistics, we've gone through this on this show. The Chronicle has said, you know, various things. I mean, crime didn't really go up a lot more in San Francisco than it did in other comparable cities, uh, including those with, you know, quote unquote, tough on crime DAs. What role do you think the media played in aiding the recall effort and sort of saying recall supporters say crime is out of control in the city. Uh, and and how much do you think it was uh, other kinds of information environment factors like, you know, social media and, and other things? So, you know, crime, crime has increased in California and it has increased in the, in the four largest cities in California somewhat, um, but it's a mixed bag, right? Um, so some crime rates are increasing. Uh, homicides, for example, did increase in California. Uh, there have been an increase in property crimes, but these are from historically low rates, right? So during the pandemic, uh, the crime rates dropped to historic lows in California. And so while the crime rates ticked back up, if you're comparing, for example, to the 1980s, it, 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 it's just not even comparable. And so it has been this 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 media narrative that's been driven, and obviously in San Francisco that's been focused largely on the on the on the district attorney. But as I mentioned, like you know, it's not just conditions on the ground that are framing this recall election. Uh, these are very personal elections. Um, you know, it's it's other than in 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 California when you have a, a judge running for re-election, they're on the ballot by themselves. Otherwise, elections in you know, throughout the country are, are multi-candidate races. This is very much about the person. So if somebody voting to recall, it could be personal. It could be about the way they administer their office. It could be about ideology. Um, it could be about conditions on the ground uh, that people are experiencing. It also could be that very, very low turnout, which is what we saw uh, throughout the state yesterday, in a, in a really low intensity election means that folks who have been motivated to come out to vote are likely to, 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 carry, the, to carry the day. I also think some of the 
former district attorneys going so hard against Boudin to seem to play, play a big role. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Anna Tong, uh, data editor with the San Francisco Standard. Can you tell us about what we know about sort of what areas of the city really voted and, and what we can say about what the electorate really looked like? Yeah. So, um, and so as as you've noted, there was kind of historically low turnout, even though turnout in San Francisco was higher than the state on average, I believe. Um, you know, going into the election, we really saw that uh, it was the more conservative areas in um, in San Francisco that were turning out more, and so that was kind of like a harbinger of what was to come. So, um, you know, back when Boudin was elected in 2019, he really leaned on Bernal Heights, um, which is District 9, and then also um, the Haight-Ashbury District, which is District 5, to really um, drive his votes. And um, in this, going into the election, those areas were uh, had had voted less than average. And the areas that were um, that had higher turnout than average were Republicans. Um, they voted, I think, almost... Uh, 30%, which is like 10 points higher than average. And Republicans and other races don't really turn out in San Francisco. Um, the Marina, which is more conservative, um, and then kind of lower uh, Sunset, which is more conservative. And then also um, Asian populations, people with uh, Chinese language ballots were turning out significantly more than average. You know, on a, on a narrative <laughs> level, it seems like there's an emerging story that Immigrant Asian voters or the children of, uh, of immigrants from Asia, as well as rich white voters, have sort of coalesced into kind of a new block, a new coalition within the city. Do the numbers as we have them so far, do they seem to, to bear that out? Um, yes, I think they actually do. Because if you're looking at the marina, um, you're looking at Presidio Heights, and then you're looking at, um, you know, Sunset. Um, that's, I think that's, I, I think that's pretty right. Yeah. Corey Cook, what do you think? How do you see the change in coalitions within San Francisco politics? Well, you know, interestingly, they've been remarkably stable. So um, I think Anna is exactly right about about the the turnout and the and the vote result yesterday. Um, but we're we're sort of still in the same mode of of the progressive literal geographic center of the city. Um, Typically not winning state citywide elections, um, they, they've fallen mostly around the forty-five to fifty-five sort of margin, uh, with with the more moderate candidates winning, and that's held since since more or less since Willie Brown was elected mayor, um, and so there there are slight variations of that. Obviously, uh, Boudin was able to to win in in uh, twenty nineteen, but for the most part, this is the how we're seeing elections in San Francisco and have since since Willie Brown. Hmm. What do you think might change that? What do you think could change that? Well, so what we're so in essence, San Francisco is obviously it's a one it's a one party town in terms of of, of of political parties. But this moderate progressive divide has been the defining line in San Francisco for for now a generation. And what what you're seeing is these issues that that could cut across these coalitions are simply not in, in these elections. So what it would take is actually something that, that cuts across these, these fairly uh, hardened uh, political coalitions, uh, whether it's you know, housing issues, homelessness, crime, uh, ec- you know, economic issues, environmental issues. For the most part, these are being reinforced along these moderate progressive divides. Yeah. Hey, guys, so taking all these things, adding it up as well as your own reporting, do you see this recall as a referendum on San Francisco's progressive criminal justice ideas or, or just in general progressive criminal justice ideas? 
Or was something more complicated going on? Yeah, I don't think you can take it as a referendum on criminal justice ideas in general, right? There's statewide officials who are pushing the same kind of ideas that Chase Boudin did. Rob Bonta, top candidate for attorney general, did very well in San Francisco, for example. And a lot of the polling that even has been done around this specific recall election has showed support for individual policy ideas that Boudin has been pushing. Look, I'll add to what Corey is saying about the, the unique nature of the recall system. It's also the unique nature of local recalls in California where you don't have opposition on the ballot, right? That was such a huge factor in Governor Gavin Newsom surviving his recall election last year was the fact that in the end, yes, his name appeared yes or no on the ballot, but in the end, you had replacement candidates on the ballot with him. So by the time people cast their ballots, they knew they were really picking Newsom or Larry Elder. Local recalls, you don't have that. It is a straight yes or no. And voters are kind of left imagining their ideal district attorney will emerge after the current one is recalled when at this point we don't know who's going to be the next district attorney that's going to be up to mayor london breed we're talking bay area election results with guy marzarati reporter and producer with kqed's california politics and government desk anna tong data editor at the san francisco standard and Corey cook a political scientist at st mary's college also the provost there we do want to hear from you. You guys have already started calling before we, <laughs> we actually gave out the number. But what local measures, bonds, or candidates were you watching, particularly, say, outside San Francisco? We'd also love to hear, you know, turnout was really low. Did you not cast a ballot in this election? And why not? Give us a call. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get in touch. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. You can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. We're going to be talking more about the recall as well as the San Jose mayor's race and much more after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Bay Area election results. We're joined by Anna Tong, data editor at the San Francisco Standard, Corey Cook, a political scientist at St. Mary's College, and our own Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's politics team. Want to take some calls. Philip in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. You know, I just wanted to quickly say how deeply disappointed I am with the recall of Chase of the Dean. Now, as a black San Franciscan, criminal justice reform is so incredibly important to me. Uh, minority communities, particularly the black community, have been so deeply impacted by an unjust criminal justice system for decades now. And the policies are being put in place, really just beginning to undo that harm. And uh, to see people that, you know, said Black Lives Matter two years ago, who posted black squares on the social media, 
turn around and vote for the recall is just so deeply disappointing. He was made the fall guy for so many different things. I still see people being like, I was just tired of these screaming homeless people on the streets. I'm like, I feel that. That has nothing to do with the district attorney. It is not under, you know, his responsibility. So this is my first day ever being disappointed to be a San Franciscan. And I just think that's a real shame. Oh, man. Philip, where do you, someone with those ideals, someone who wants to see change in the way criminal justice system works in, I mean, I, it, it does feel like some of the momentum for reversing the harms of mass incarceration has gone away. So where do you start rebuilding if, if, you're, if you hold the ideals you do? That is a great question. And today, you know, when I'm reeling with all this disappointment uh, with my fellow San Franciscans, with the recall process, with everything, I, you know, I'm honestly not sure. Of course, the work is never done. You know, you dust yourself off, you get back up. Um, you lobby for progressive candidates that are going to fight the good fight. You look to the state level. You continue to have conversations with your community. And I'm sure I will do all those things. I know Chase Bodine will do all these things because I know him and I know what he stands for, and I'm proud to be his friend. But today, today I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Hey, thank you for that call, Philip. Let's, let's go uh, right to Buck in San Francisco, and then we'll go back to our panel. Hey, Buck, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, love the show. Uh, so I'm a lifelong democratic socialist community organizer. And Boudin drove me crazy and just didn't get it. Of course, the American criminal justice system is racist and classist. Okay. But what if you're a per- poor person living in the Tenderloin and you can't walk down the street because the streets are dominated, despite the wonderful work of urban alchemy, by drug dealers? Um, when folks in the Tenderloin met with Chase Boudin, I, I do not speak for nor represent the Tenderloin in the least. All he could talk about was, sit down, write this down, Honduran drug dealers in the Tenderloin and how they were the real victims because their families were being held by members of the drug cartel in Honduras. This guy had no identification at all with the poor people of color living in the Tenderloin and being subjected to violent crime there. The guy could not hold both ideas in his brain at the same time, and frankly, he got what he deserved, in my humble opinion. I wonder what the commentators think about my experience with him. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that, uh, Buck, that perspective. Um, You know, Guy, let's let's go to you on this, that there were kind of two things that were going on here. There were a lot of questions about Boudin's personal temperament and confidence. And then there were the things that were going on in the streets of San Francisco, particularly in the in the Tenderloin, particularly with the fentanyl drug crisis. Um, what did you hear from people about how that vote was breaking down? Was it about the issues or was it about the person? You know, I think the Yes campaign made sure that voters were hearing all of that, right? They really elevated both the voices of uh, folks who had previously worked with Boudin, who kind of knew the inside of his management and who were disgruntled with how he was running that office, the kind of personnel issues, not someone who had experience as a district attorney heading in. In addition to the stuff that Buck is talking about, you know, issues on the streets of San Francisco. And to Buck's point, you know, politics is a blame game, right? And I think you could maybe say Boudin took too long to kind of get into that blame game if he's, you know, being targeted as the reason that that 
homelessness. These issues are happening on the street. And he's talking about root causes when Buck is asking him about it. I think maybe an earlier pivot to talking about police response, right? I mean, that ultimately was where the, you know, no on recall campaign landed was, why aren't police doing enough? Isn't Shouldn't we be looking to the police have higher arrest rates? Um, but ultimately, maybe that was too late. Yeah, I mean, the line that Boudin said here on this show was that uh, only 1% of car break-ins end in an arrest, which would be the thing that would be brought to his office. Uh, so if 99% of the of the car break-ins that are even reported, which is only a percentage of those, you're talking about, um, there's not a lot his office can really do about that. Uh, this uh, Here's a couple of listener comments. Um, e- one listener writes, uh, it's not just about the actual crime rates. It's the quality of life for San Francisco taxpayers. It's the tents. It's the giveaway programs. It's the hotels full of homeless people at great expense. It's the constant crazy yelling in my neighborhood. It's the police not being able to respond to crazy yelling in front of my building. It's people grabbing anything they want at Safeway or Walgreens. We're tired of it. I'm not a Republican or rich, but I wanted Boudin gone. I do want strong on crime and homelessness. Mayor, DA, and supervisor just want to ask what strong on homelessness uh, would be. This has been really a very difficult. I, I, I think everyone understands these quality of life concerns that people had. I'm, I'm air quoting quality of life concerns. I think the question is, what's going to actually work to uh, reduce the rates of homelessness that people are experiencing, reduce the, the misery on the, on the streets? Uh, Kyla writes, um, San Francisco's violent crime rate is quite low, does not even make the top 20 for cities nationwide. I think this recall was more about uh, people living on the streets, which really has nothing to do with the DA, and is all about the ratio of housing and high-paying jobs, which is totally out of balance all over the Bay. What do supporters of the recall think will happen with a new DA? Uh, let's go to Carlos in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I think it's really unrealistic to think that the DA is responsible for crime necessarily, you know, because, um, you know, crime just has so many more factors than what any politician or a cop or a district attorney, um, can solve, you know, and when, um, and when these voters are complaining about homelessness and they're complaining about the problems, you know, when you look at hypodermic needles on the streets, I mean, how does that, the, how does that, how does that have anything to do with, you know, the uh, cops and and the DA and the criminal system, you know? Carlos, what's, been, and, what's your uh, personal experience been of, of crime in the city? Well, I mean, I'm I'm a homeowner, and I'm and I have bike shops in San Francisco, and we've been robbed at least 35 times in the last 28 years, Jeez. and um, and that's not, and I'm not even complaining, you know, that's just part of being business. I mean, it it kind of stinks to get up at four in the morning and clean up broken glass, but um, but that's always been a problem, and the thing is. is Ten years ago was more of a problem. There was, I was fifteen years ago was more of a problem than it was ten years ago. Um, it was about you know sometimes it would happen three times in the same month. And late in the last three years, we've been broken into once. And it was the very first time I ever heard the cops say this. But they said, "Oh, we won't be able to do anything because uh, Bodine won't prosecute." You know, and that's and that was the first time I ever heard that. And I was just I just felt like these cops were just conniving a story or um, a narrative um, for this recall movement. It was really, and this is, this is about a year and a half ago. And I just think that's weird, you know? Um, But that narrative is real. People feel unsafe. 
even though things are way safer than they were 10 or 15 years ago. And um, I don't, you know, the, the answer is bigger than what a politician can do or what cops can do or what a district attorney can do. And refo- and um, rehabilitation is, you know, the, really the only thing I can see that would quell crime. I mean, anybody can, if, if somebody wants to, um, wants to rob old ladies, they're not going to get busted for it. It's just that it's just to teach people to not want to hurt other people. And, um, and that's, and cops can't do that. Thank you for, uh, that perspective, Carlos. I'm going to go right to, uh, Charles in San Francisco and then back to the panel. Hey, Charles. Um, I was a victim of a violent crime and at this point, Chelsea Bourdain is just racist and their system, the way they treated me. I had to file a court order just so that I could get the attorney to speak to me. My, the, the homeless, I mean, the advocate for the victims told me to violate my rights. So I'm not a Republican. I was actually in the riots to push for police reform. I mean, it's, it's just racist in that Chelsea Bodine has done so little to stop violent crime amongst black people, amongst poor people. It's, it, you know, I mean, do I have to be white and Asian for the district attorney to care about the crimes that black people and poor people have suffered? The, the investigator for my crime she told me that she was not going to investigate my crime. So, you know, it's this isn't a. I mean, San Francisco is the top Democratic city in America. To blame Republicans for all of this, it's. I mean, it's. It's. They're. Not, I mean, they're distorting the facts. The. You know, it's. You know, when you look at that black lady filing for um that. That was on the Commonwealth show. It shows how Case of Bodine was so abusive and crass towards black people. Six years for a murder, and then um, how come Chase of Bodine didn't even show up for the Commonwealth um, event? He he had to stand behind a woman. I mean, where's the integrity? It's like, can't you stand up and defend your own ideas without sticking some woman in front of you? Hey, Charles. Yeah, th- appreciate you sharing your experience. Uh, and I'm sorry to hear that you, you experienced a, a violent crime as well. I, You know, Anna, Anna Tong, before we move on to some other races, I um, just wanted to ask you if, you know, these, these personal experiences that people have had, you know, with crime, so many people have been touched um, by, by crime. Is there a way that that shows up in the data that we have about voters? Are, are people who've experienced crime more, were they more likely to get out and vote? Do we know anything about just the way that that actual personal experience of, uh, of experiencing a crime has influenced this election? That's a really good question. I'm not personally aware of any data um, that shows whether or not you've whether or not you've personally experienced a crime affects whether or not you're going to get out and vote. I mean, I assume it would. Um, we did a poll of uh, San Franciscans. We surveyed them a lot about crime and quality of life. And we, so as on the whole, we found that people were very, very concerned about crime. And, you know, the top thing that people wanted more funding for was more police. And most like 73% of people wanted to see people that committed 
property crimes and various quality of life crimes arrested and prosecuted. So I think that, you know, just in general as a city, people in San Francisco want to see more done about crime. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously a lot of both both apathy based on the voter turnout, but for those yep. who cared about this election, they really, really cared about this election. We're talking Bay Area election results with Anna Tong, data editor at the San Francisco Standard. Corey Cook, political scientist at St. Mary's College of California, also the provost there. And Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. We're going to change gears a little bit here uh, to talk about a, a big race in the Bay Area's biggest city for mayor. That's San Jose's mayor's race. Uh, Guy, can you uh, lead us off on this one and, and what happened in that race? Yeah, it looks like we're headed to a November runoff. Uh, County Supervisor Cindy Chavez uh, leads City Councilman Matt Mahan by about seven points as of this morning. Um, this was kind of expected. These were the top two candidates uh, we thought heading into this election. It would have been hard given there were seven candidates on the ballot for anyone to get the majority they would need to avoid a runoff. Um, So yeah, those two are headed into November and behind them, Dev Davis, Raul Perales, other city council members who are on the ballot at around 10% looking like right now. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit of Cindy Chavez, uh, who talked with KQD reporter Carlos Cabrera Lomeli uh, about her experience and why experience is uh, important in this election. You know, I played a leadership role in making sure that we were the first city and the first county in the nation to offer every child under the age of 18 access to health insurance. We have one of the largest housing bonds and we have moved thousands of people from the streets into housing. You know, we have done incredible work around uh, environmental protection, particularly with Reed Hill View Airport, where it was spewing lead on children, and we're working to now only have uh, unleaded fuel there. So what I want people to understand is that experience matters, and it particularly matters when you can line up accomplishments, because what faces this city in the future is so significant and so big um, that this is not only breaking, you know, historical boundaries by me, from a, being a first woman, I mean, a first Latina, but it's about what we can do with that. Corey uh, Cook, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you see these this mayor's race. Well, so again, this falls a fairly traditional divide in San Jose. Um, you have both the, the candidates, um, you know, one running as a candidate of experience, the other sort of as an outsider. Uh, but more than that, this is sort of the pro-business um a uh, man is running as a sort of a pro, pro-business outsider against uh, 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 Cindy Chavez was the head of the AFL-CIO Labor Council, right? And so the, the business versus labor sort of fight, which is often animated San Jose politics, seems to be, again, at the core of this mayoral election. Similarly, you have a lot of the same issues that we, we were just talking about, right? Um, uh, homelessness, housing affordability, uh, you know, so the air quotes, quality of life concerns, that, that we just talked about in the in the San Francisco election are are what are driving um, voters in San Jose as well. And if I could just jump in, Alexis, to this whole the idea of it running on experience that Cindy Chavez is just talking about in in that cut from last night. I mean, we've spent the last thirty minutes talking about how frustrated voters are, yeah. how angry they are with their elected officials. It's going to be really interesting to see. Can a candidate like Chavez, basically her message is, judge me on what I've done. Look at these, you know, decades of experience on homeless funding, on, you know, saving local hospitals and putting that in front of voters in a year like this. It's going to be, I think, really interesting to see how 
voters react to that when you have a candidate like Mahan, who's basically like a blow up the box campaign, right? He's saying, you know, elected officials aren't getting it done. He's only been in office for about a year. He's and, like, except for me, I'm also an elected. Yeah, official, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's still in like the probation phase, basically. Um, <laughs> and, and saying, you know, let's tie elected official pay to specific accomplishments. So if any, if there's any year that that might work and he has a lot of obstacles against them, finances are going to be the top one, name ID as well. But if there's any year like that message might be able to work in local politics here in the Bay, this might be it. So both uh, candidates, both candidates are running as candidates of change, right? And so again, that the the question before voters is what is going to fuel that change? Is it somebody who has worked through systems and, you know, has, has dedicated um, literal decades to public service, or is it someone coming in from the outside who, who you know, provides an opportunity to to rethink things and, as you noted, sort of blow things up? Yeah. Let's hear a little bit from Matt Mahan, who's the second largest vote getter, uh, who also spoke with Carlos Cabrera Lomeli yesterday. He emphasized the need for change, as we've been hearing. Let's listen in. I think voters want real change, and I think they want accountability for results. And this November, they're going to get a real choice between someone who's been in the public eye for 30 years and elected office for nearly 20 and has pushed much of the same policies that have us where we are today and on homelessness and crime and the high cost of living. I think voters are looking for a change in direction. That was Matt Mahan, who looks like he will be facing off against Cindy Chavez in the general election there in San Jose's uh, mayor's race. We're talking about Bay Area election results with Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California politics team, Corey Cook, a political scientist in St. Mary's, and Anna Tong, data editor at the San Francisco Standard. What local measures, bonds, or candidates have you been watching outside the big cities that you'd like to uh, to shout out. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking Bay Area election results with Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer here at KQD on the politics team, Corey Cook, political scientist at St. Mary's, and Anna Tong with the San Francisco Standard. There were a bunch of bonds on the measure, ways of uh, paying for things here in the city. Guy, can you um, tell us about a couple of the uh, most important ones there? Yeah, so I was looking uh, on a lot of the school bonds that were on the ballot last night. Your eyes might glaze over. School bonds are kind of like the, you know, innocuous things on our on our local ballots. And for a long time, they just kind of sailed to passage with not a lot of dissent. 
Um, that all changed in our last statewide primary that we had here in, in March of 2020. And no one's really sure why. Like, pandemic really hit a week later, so there wasn't a whole lot of uh, time spent into the school bond autopsy. But we never really got a sense of why all of a sudden statewide there was like 70% of school bonds were failing in that primary. It huh. seems at least initially that that's kind of reverting. Um, there's still a couple, one in, in Alameda County, uh, one down in, in the South Bay in the, in the Campbell Union School District that are uh, kind of on the fence of passing. They need 55%. Um, but otherwise, you know, from Marin to San Mateo, it looks largely like school bonds are back to being, uh, you know, widely approved. Corey, you want to talk about um, school bond measures? You know, I've got a new research topic. I, I got to figure that out. That's fascinating <laughs> um, because, again, historically, when the when the threshold was fifty five percent, historically, school bonds have done quite well. Um, you know, again, I was interested to see how, how this election cycle would turn out. Obviously, the top concern on the mind of voters is, is inflation and the state of the economy. Um, and so that, you know, rising gas prices, et cetera. Uh, so what we're seeing from statewide surveys is that, that that's a primary concern. So I, I was interested to see how that might play out in terms of these bond measures, whether folks would, would in essence, feel tight with, with funds or not. Um, it does appear that most of the bonds are going to pass, though. Except for, Anatong, if I if I think I have the numbers right. There's a big muni bond yep. in San Francisco. Um, how's that looking, Anna, right now? Um, the muni bond is not going to pass, mm. I believe. So, but but I just got an email from the Department of Elections saying that there's 100,000 more votes to be counted. Hmm. And that's nearly half of what came in as of yesterday. So wow. it may change. And so what is that going to mean for muni if this bond doesn't pass, given that it's actually been really struggling already. Um, I'm not sure. I wasn't covering that issue, so I'm going to defer to somebody else if they know. Sure. Guy, you have thoughts on on Muni? Uh, I, yeah, you know, hard to say. I haven't really looked into what specific pr- proposals they were planning to do uh, with this bond. I mean, we should say it has, this is even a higher threshold. I think this is like a two-thirds uh, issue. It has right. 63% of the vote right now. So um, again, like uh, if, if if we end up, there's been like 120,000 votes so far. If we're still have another 100K to go, I would say we I still watch before calling this one. If it's, That's right. Yeah. And one might imagine the late breaking voters go bigger for Muni. One could, one could see that. Exactly. They tend to be more progressive. So, yeah. yep. Um, Corey Cook, you know, I want to return a little bit to the, the deeper structural issue here, which is that the turnout is so low, uh, although it looks like it's going to get better in San Francisco. Maybe it'll get up to uh, 25% or something. Um, talk to me about that. Like, what do we what do we know about what causes low voter turnout generally and maybe what's doing it specifically in these elections? Well, so these are these are typically thought of as low intensity races. Obviously, the the recall election has gotten national attention, and it, and it certainly uh, inspired high turnout in some parts of the city. But for the most part, um, you know what you what, what drives uh, turnout are going to be sort of big national issues. Uh, the state measures, for the most part, the state uh, contests, for, for the most part, were not particularly competitive. Um, I will note that um, you know Malia Cohen appears to be advancing. Uh, former, former member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors appears to be one of the top two for the uh, state controller race, um, which is just fascinating for those of us who follow San Francisco politics. You have yet another 
former member of the Board of Supervisors who uh, has a shot to win statewide office uh, following Feinstein, Newsom, and Fiona Ma, um, uh, which is pretty remarkable, frankly, for a city the size of San Francisco to keep producing uh, statewide elected office holders. But for the most part, these, these races weren't particularly hotly contested. Uh, turnout is typically down in off-year elections. It's typically down in primary elections. And so that confluence of things, I think, has led to um, a lot of voter apathy. I think the thing that folks are concerned about nationally is that you know the Bay Area is obviously a heavily Democratic area. Um, there is historically not a lot of, of correlation between vote in a primary election and vote in a general election. But I can tell you national Democrats are concerned that if Democratic voters are not energized come November, uh, that uh, the House is likely uh, going to flip uh, and that the handful of seats that Democrats thought they might pick up in California uh, w- won't come about. And I should say, Alexis, this is after all the reforms that have been happening in the state over the last two years to make voting easier, right? We went through all these pandemic changes, sending ballots to every voter by default. But again, I think we have to look beyond just the election laws and to actually, to Corey's point, what's motivating people to get to the ballot? I mean, our last primary, when we consolidated it with the presidential primary, we mattered in California in the Democratic (laughs) primary. Turnout was like 45, 47%, something like that. I think that's like you have a candidate like Bernie Sanders driving that enthusiasm in California could be worth a lot more to the baseline turnout than these kind of election reforms that make it easier for people to actually cast ballots. Well, you know, uh, Guy, one other interesting measure that was on the ballot in San Francisco that appears to be going down would have made recalls harder, right? And San Francisco voters uh, appear to have rejected that. Right. For all the talk about, you know, need for reform and recall. This happened after the Newsom recall as well. It was like, okay, now that the recall is over, we really have to have a big discussion about how to change recall laws. Crickets. That has that really has gone nowhere in the legislature this year. At the end of the day, Californians and here locally, San Franciscans like the ability to throw someone out to have that recall process. It's something so unique to our state. Um, and in this case, in San Francisco, this ballot measure would have limited both what offices could get on the ballot in a recall. For example, like the school board recall would not have been able to happen uh, under Prop C because those folks would have been back on the ballot this year. It also would have limited the ability of a mayoral appointment after a recall to run again. So voters rejected both uh, both of those changes. And again, efforts to change the recall process statewide have really fallen flat. Yeah. We're talking about Bay Area election results with Guy Marsarati, reporter and producer with KQED, Corey Cook, political scientist at St. Mary's, and Anna Tong, data editor at the San Francisco Standard. Next hour, Mina Kim is going to devote the hour to talking the statewide uh, races, of which there are a bunch as well. Love to hear from you. Do you think the Bay Area's politics are changing? Do you think For example, Chase Boudin's recall is a sign that the city's moving away from progressive values, or is that just kind of, as uh, Corey Cook has indicated, a longtime feature of San Francisco politics? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, or you can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or KQED Forum, the emails forum at kqed.org. Um, one bit of good news for library fans, which I have to say, I'm in the bag for the library. Daphne writes, how about a shout out for Oakland's library measure C passage? It's estimated to have passed with 80 percent. Yes. 
Um, we also have a comment from Michael about the San Jose mayor's race, which is Cindy Chavez had nonstop TV ads funded by unions, while Mayhan's ads were limited to social media funded by businesses. Both had tons of mailers. I don't see Chavez as being a hard bargainer with any of the public employee unions. Mm. Um, guy, that's tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, that could be. Honestly, that could be an issue for Mayhan to run on in November. We're getting word today that current mayor Sam Licardo is going to announce that for the first time in years, San Jose's pension and retirement costs are actually coming down. This was the the big issue in the last open mayor election uh, in 2014, you know, cleaning up the city's pension system after there was an effort to do real draconian cuts that had to get rolled back. Licardo worked out a compromise. Probably as he leaves office, like his top legacy point is that he was able to kind of reach a deal uh, on pension costs. So that could be something Mayhan looks to target in November, given Chavez's long history of of working with unions, of her allyship with unions uh, in public office. Um, I will say one thing we haven't talked about in San Jose is the fact that voters approved change to when future mayoral elections will take place. This is we're talking about turnout, an effort to increase turnout in future mayoral elections. Uh, Measure B looks like it's headed to passage and it would line up mayoral votes with presidential election years. Just another effort, again, to try to boost turnout in these midterm races. One more structural thing I wanted to ask you about, Guy, which is about the redistricting that's occurred. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that for people who haven't been following that process. Yeah, this was the first election under our new maps uh, in California. Largely in the Bay Area, the congressional map looks pretty similar to how it has in, in the last decade. Redistricting had a really big impact on state level races because when you combine new districts with term limits, you saw a huge turnover in, you know, state assembly members, state senators leaving office. And it's created these open seats that are really competitive. Tons of money is being spent. One I've been uh, following is in the South Bay, you know, Fremont. North San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, um, where you have the mayor of Fremont, Lily May, running against Hayward Councilmember Aisha Wahab. This is a, a seat where the the current senator is leaving, and so it's leaving this opening for business, labor to wage another proxy war uh, for a seat in the state legislature. And because you're having all of this turnover in the legislature, this you know business groups, labor groups see. 2022 is a huge opportunity to kind of get their majority uh, in the Democratic caucus. And so you're going to see a lot of spending in these races you have in the primary, you will in November. Thank you for that, guy. You know, a couple more listener comments. It's worth noting the Asian community pushed hard to remove Chase Boudin, same as the group who wanted the uh, Board of Education recalled and succeeded. They were very upset that he was lax on violence against AAPI and has been very absent. I think despite it all, he's a cis white male. Uh, Jim writes, I served in a San Francisco jury pool in 2019. The jury pool was a cross-section of all neighborhoods, occupations, genders, races, class, and age. I was proud to hear all who spoke to be on the same page as Chase Boudin's policies. I anticipated that only a low voter turnout would cause the recall to succeed. We should not be able to recall any office holder for reasons other than unethical behavior. And Jim, in another low turnout election, the voters of San Francisco disagree with you. Uh, Mike writes, increase crime or not, media is all about the show. Shoplifting is organized efforts, video of employees standing helplessly, Walgreens intent on closing stores that have turned into ghost towns and people blame the DA. Is the media to blame? Yes. But then the media is now news as entertainment. Crime is shock material, ratings, commercials. Not here on KQED. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information 
on how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. All right, let's go on with the show here. Let's bring in uh, caller Tiffany in San Francisco. Welcome, Tiffany. Hey, Tiffany, can you hear me? Maybe not. Hey, Tiffany. I don't know if you're muted. All right, we will try to come back to you, Tiffany. Um, Corey Cook, what do you think is sort of the biggest change that we might expect to see uh, over the next, say, few years of Bay Area politics if, as you're saying, things have actually been pretty stable and yet there is this great hunger for change out of voters? Yeah, so I think the the electoral coalitions have been stable, but certainly there's a lot of change. Um, you know, what I'm interested in, in following in San Francisco, we talked a little bit about the um, the recall proposition that was defeated. Um, San Francisco has a very diffuse system uh, of governance, right? So there's seven independently elected citywide officials, um, you know, historically a very, very difficult place to govern. Accountability now is focused on the mayor, right? So you've, you've got a mayor now who'll be appointing the district attorney. She appointed the city attorney. She appointed the head of the Public Utilities Commission. She's appointed members of the school board after the recall election. She's appointed the city administrator, the assessor, members of the board of supervisors. Um, so, so we're going to now have a system of focused accountability in San Francisco. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's going to be fascinating. Again, the, the recall measure would have prohibited her ability to appoint somebody who would run for reelection, but most certainly she will be appointing somebody for district attorney who will be seeking reelection. And so again, what I'm, what I'm fascinated to see is how this plays out in San Francisco politics and how a, uh, I think, I think mayor breed has the potential to be the most significant mayoral uh, mayor in San Francisco, at least since Willie Brown, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe even long before that. I yeah, it, it you know as I have been doing this job for the past year and learning more and more about local politics, which wasn't my beat before. I've just <laughs> been it, it's been remarkable to see. And and Anatong, maybe we'll come to you on this. The way that London Breed has been able to to accumulate so much power and the different kinds of positions that she's taken. I mean, she's proven to be an incredibly savvy and increasingly powerful politician. Anatom. Yes, I actually, I totally agree. I mean, if you look at her, um, you know, she's, she's definitely changed her viewpoints. I mean, she's gone from wanting to defund the police, now wanting to fund the police. And yeah, it's, it's impressive how much, how many um, officials she's, she will be able to appoint now. Yeah. I mean, is there another mayor in the country who's had this kind of run, Corey Cook? I, I'm not familiar with somebody who's had this kind of run. And again, part of what she's, I mean, being savvy, part of what she's done is is replace, for example, for the district attorney's, uh, sorry, for the city attorney, uh, when she uh, appointed David Chu, that created another vacancy. And so she's been able to create these, um, uh, you know, new vacancies by appointing folks in a way that it really has amassed a lot of uh, responsibility and a lot of power in her office. Again, it'll be interesting to see how voters respond to that. Um, I, I was really impressed by the by the callers today that the issues that they raise and pointing about how far beyond the recall election and the district attorney those issues go, those now focus on the mayor's office, right? And so if you now have questions about quality of life or housing or homelessness or, uh, or muni, 
accountability can be focused in the mayor's office. And that's both an advantage to the mayor and also potentially very risky. Right. I have You have to think at this point, the walls of accountability are kind of closing in, right? You've, you, she ran on largely the issue of homelessness and making that a top priority, but you know, wholeheartedly endorsed the recall of school board members, got to appoint them. Uh, to Corey's point, has a, appointed, you know, a lot of citywide positions, now appointing a new district attorney. So Reed might go back to the ballot next year, accountable for not only homelessness, but schools, you know, public safety, crime. And I think, yes, she has a tremendous ability to make huge change on these issues, also because of just the longevity factor, right? Her first election was to fill the rest of her term. She, if she, you know, wins her next election, will have the ability to be the longest serving mayor, I think, since Angelo Rossi, who got, uh, you know, 12 or 13 years back in the 30s. So, you know, that that will give her the platform to be able to do this. But at a certain point, right, voters are going to start increasingly looking to her as there are fewer and fewer other scapegoats around. Yeah. Uh, listener Letitia writes, 20 years ago, I could see that our country's growing income inequality would lead us to a society similar to those in Latin America, like Brazil and Mexico. In those countries, there are many favelas or shanty towns where the poor live while the rich live in gated communities. Getting robbed is more common. Now we've created a similar society here with our tech wealth, massive income inequality, not enough housing and dangerous drugs everywhere. Voters are mad now, but this was all a long time coming. We created this with things like tax cuts for the very rich nationally, too many tech companies in the Bay, and in general, not enough attention to the society we were creating. Uh, Thanks for uh, joining us. We have been talking about the Bay Area's election results. You should stay tuned to hear about statewide election results with Mina Kim. We've been joined by Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Thank you so much, Guy. Thanks for having me. Corey Cook, political scientist at St. Mary's here in the Bay Area, also the provost there. Thank you for joining us, Corey. Thank you so much. And Anna Tong, data editor at the San Francisco Standard. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you so much for all of our listeners and and calls. We know these are contentious issues, and I really appreciate you staying with us through these conversations. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.